This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. The lesson that I have prepared this evening may be uh, something that you're not used to. I don't know. Uh, I have a feeling that you... I say that with tongue in cheek <laughs> because I think really what all of us are kind of used to this and uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about conflict. Uh, we've seen conflict our entire life. I know I have and conflict comes in many different forms in many different ways uh, but when it comes in the church, it's really dreadful, isn't it? And I've seen conflict in the church. I want to tell you, when I was a boy, we had an elder at home in our congregation, and I didn't really know what was going on because I was a boy, but apparently there was some conflict that was brewing in the congregation, and the elder uh, decided that he had to take the bull by the horns, if you will, and stop this conflict because this conflict, what it does in a congregation often, if it's not tended to in the proper way, will cause division. And so this elder got up on a Sunday morning, and I, don't, I think this may be the only time I've ever seen this, Garlet. But uh, he got up and he said, we have some things going on in this congregation, and it's being led by some individuals. And he said, I'm going to tell you it either stops now, or I'm going to expose you. And I'm going to tell you, tell everybody what you're doing. Guess what? No more. <laughs> Stopped it. Dead in his tracks. Now, I told that story because I want you to understand something. There was no Facebook back then. <laughs> there was no social media. Can you imagine what he would have on his hands today? If he tried to stop all of the talk and all of those things. Well, he's been gone a long time, and he never saw social media, and he never saw that type of conflict that we experience today. The world has embraced this type of conflict. There are many, many different types of conflict. Uh, there's a conflict going on right now overseas, and we would call that an elevated conflict where one country invades another. But basically what we're talking about when we talk about conflict is a competitive or opposing action of incompatibles, antagonistic state. And I want you to take note of that definition, an antagonistic state. And this elder saw an antagonism that was going on in the congregation that if it was not taken care of, could create such anger that it could cause division. And he decided to do that. Now, the reason why I put the little icon up there on Facebook, because today what we see of antagonism and to, to uh, stir up conflict, it's generally done on social media. And because people can sit at a computer, they can type some words and never have to face someone face to face. And it's a lot easier to do that. And it creates conflict and it creates division oftentimes, even within families. So we have to address conflict, but this lesson is not so much about conflict in the sense of fighting. I want you to see that there's really only three options that can take place with conflict if it's left untended. 
There's only three things that can happen. And we want to look at those three things briefly, but more than that, we want to see what the Bible teaches about unity and about loving each other and how to treat each other where this conflict doesn't rise to these proportions. 1 Peter 3 and 8 says, Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. We want to take this verse as our context tonight, as our text and the central uh, theme of our thoughts, where Peter tells us, the Lord's church, number one, be of all of one mind. Be of one mind. Jesus put it this way. He said, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So what does it mean to be of one mind? Well, Jesus used the term house. And the basic form of a house that we understand is a family, a husband and a wife. And to be of the same mind, does that mean that you have to agree on everything? Is that uh, to, to eliminate all conflict? Not at all. But it does mean some things. We want to look at that briefly. But a divided relationship, conflict, and conflict creates a divided relationship. A re this divided relationship can express itself in one of three ways or maybe in all three ways. Number one, a divided relationship will cause people, first of all, and the elevation of conflict is to get in each other's face. Let's scream it out. Let's holler it out. And who's got the loudest voice and the, and the strongest voice or the person that has the stronger personality oftentimes walks away feeling like they've won when in fact nobody wins. And that type of conflict is what we see often. This conflict has changed from the face-to-face -face conflict that you may experience sometimes in your home to let's scream it out on the internet. You know, it took me a long time to understand that all caps meant that you were screaming at me. I didn't know that for a long time. I thought this person likes to write in all caps. I didn't know you were hollering at me. <laughs> and I know a woman today that still doesn't know that. and She types everything in all caps. She don't know she's screaming at everybody. But this conflict has arisen to that point where we want to scream at each other on the internet and write it all in all caps, and it's no more than this. It's the same thing. It just takes a little bit more nerve for me to get in your face and scream at you. But it's still conflict, and it's this antagonism that creates division. Galatians 5.15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of, one of another. And that's what that type of conflict results in, is abiding and devouring. So let's think about this consuming one another in terms of the basic Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. A man and a woman that wants to live in conflict, and there's some that seem to want to live that way in your home, and a husband and wife, they're constantly biting and devouring at one another. I've seen a competitive spirit at homes that uh, you just can't imagine. I counseled a, a young couple. They hadn't been married but two or three years. 
And they, they were having these terrible marriage problems. And I went over to their home and we sat down and we started talking about some of these problems. And you know what the root of their problem was? And it all came out. Both of them worked in the same factory with each other. Okay? One, both of them were leads on, their, on a different line. One was a leader on one line. The woman was a leader on, on the other line. And the boss over both lines played them against each other in competition. And they became so competitive with one another, they would bring it home to this competition of who is better than the other. And they would argue and they would start fighting over who had produced more. Well, I produced more parts than you did today. Can you imagine? But we can look at young people and we can say, well, that's immaturity. But I see similar things with older people too. A house divided against itself will not stand. And a husband and wife that is not in unity with each other and not working with each other and striving with each other, having the same goal and letting uh, material things create this conflict, it becomes division and it can become where they are just biting and devouring one another and being consumed of one another. If we start taking that mindset in our conflict that I have to one-up you and I have to be better than you, then that creates a consuming type nature. Number two, a divided relationship expresses itself in this way. Uh, where you just ignore each other. On the social media, uh, particularly Facebook, since I'm old and I don't know about anything else other than Facebook, uh, I, I know there's a lot of other social media platforms out there, but I, I don't want to bother learning them. I'm more concerned with Facebook, and somebody unfriended me. <laughs> I think that's just one of the most humorous things on Facebook that could be. Or any of these social... You have unfriended me, Bafford. I have hurt the core. And, and people, that is a way to turn your back and to ignore somebody. Now, I may block you, but I won't unfriend you. <laughs> You'll be my friend for life. But you get the idea. Now let's take, let's take this principle to this a house divided against itself will not stand and this conflict that exists in homes sometimes. I've seen husbands and wives get where they wouldn't talk to each other. Experiencing that right now with a couple that Robin and I are uh, befriending and dealing with. They get where they won't talk. I won't talk to you. I, I heard a new phrase uh, the other day uh, from the not talking. And this woman said, keep the distance and keep the pace. In other words, I'm going to go about my life and keep my distance from him. And I'm going to keep the pace of the work that I want to perform or whatever I want to do. But I'm not doing it with him. Keep the distance and keep the pace. It's that. I'll ignore you. 
And a house divided against itself will not stand. And a husband and wife that tries to live with each other, ignoring each other and ignoring each other's needs, it won't last. The conflict that causes you to be in each other's face is equally bad because that's biting and devouring. And that won't work either. And to keeping the distance and keeping the pace will simply mean that your partner will feel defrauded, and they are, unless it be with consent for a time, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7. But you can't keep the distance, keep the pace. Now, you can unfriend somebody on Facebook, and they might not get too upset, depending on your level of friendship. I don't know. If Robin unfriends me, I'm, I'm in trouble. You know, but she don't even have an account, so I'm not worried about it. But you get the idea. A divided relationship expresses itself in ignoring each other or biting and devouring each other. We cannot fulfill the commands that God gives us by avoiding each other. Let's take this relationship that we're talking about a little bit deeper than even the home. And that may sound strange to you for me to say that, but I believe it is a little bit deeper. Let's take it to the relationship that you and I enjoy in Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Disagreements arise, and this disagreement may arise to a conflict, but if it continues and you start ignoring each other, you're ignoring the passage that Paul gave to the church at Thessalonica. How are you going to fulfill this command? Through ignoring each other. Now, you may not have ever experienced this here. I hope that you haven't, but I've actually seen personally people go to church with each other that would not talk to each other. I've seen that. The idea of going out and getting a bite to eat or something with that individual was just out of the question, not going to happen. I was told by uh, uh, one of these persons, I don't want to be in the same room with them. True. That's what she told me. And she's talking about church brethren. How, how could we fulfill this commandment in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11? Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. And edify one another, even as also you do. You know, my responsibility to you is not only to comfort you, but to edify you. Let me ask you something. What brought you here this evening? Responsibility to go to church? I appreciate that. The desire to worship God? I appreciate that think that's right. I think that's good. What about the rest of it? What about edifying your brother, your sister? Lifting them up, encouraging them, comforting them. Let me ask you something. Uh, are you aware 
and familiar with your brother or your sister enough to know when they need comfort, when they need edification. If you are not being familiar in a part of their lives and being ingrained in their life, being woven in their life, you cannot know. Some of our biggest failures at our congregations and the reason they wonder why we're not growing, it's because we don't know each other because we're not fulfilling this command. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Those are commands. But if I ignore you, and I don't want to have anything to do with you, how can I fulfill this command? There is much more, brethren, than of coming to church, of being a part of God's kingdom, than coming in and fulfilling an hour on Sunday morning. Much, much more. A command to exhort one another, exhort, to encourage, to lift up. We say, well, that's the elder's job, isn't it? That's the preacher's job. The evangelist is supposed to be doing that. Church society has developed the attitude and the idea that we have these two, two differing levels of church work. You've got the level of church work that allows people to come in and they do their time, they do their worship service, and then you, the second level are the people that's actually going out and doing the work. And we pay them for that. And that's modern day uh, idea of doing church work. However, that's not biblical. The biblical principle is, is that you and you and you, no matter your age, you and you, you. No matter your age, no matter how old, no matter how young, you have a responsibility to fulfill this command. And you cannot do it except you be involved in each other's lives. You cannot keep the distance and keep the pace and fulfill these commands of edifying the body of Christ. One of the most famous passages that we all know in the church of Christ is, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And that exhortation that we're to give is you come to church. Well, I tell you, it's a lot more than that, isn't it? Exhort one another in so much more as you see the day approaching. Our exhortation should be every day of the week in some form or some fashion. You and I have the possibility and the capability today that the Apostle Paul and, and all of the apostles did not have. I can send a text out. I can send a passage of scripture to somebody and it might take me three minutes. Me, it'd probably take my uh, grandson's 30 seconds. But I can send that out. And people know that I'm thinking about them, that I love them, that they're on my, you know, it takes thought to do that. 
Now, I think there's a lot more to exhortation than just simply sending out a text, but that's a start. Try that. Try that. And then move up a little bit. Make a phone call. (laughs) And then move up a little bit. Make a visit. And exhort. And encourage. And fulfill these commandments. Who? Who's to do that? You're to do it. You're to do it. You are. Everybody. Not just the evangelists, not just the elders, the deacons. God will hold us accountable to these things, brethren. And we have a work to do and a responsibility to do for each other. And for each other's sake. For the kingdom of God. Thirdly, a divided relationship will express itself either by heads bashing and clashing and arguing it out or ignoring one another or finally walking away. I don't know of any other way that conflict, if it's left alone and the conflict continues, You know, you can only argue so much. The ignoring one another is the precursor to this. And eventually, you walk away. A divided house cannot stand. And the conflict that exists among individuals will either expose itself in one of these three ways. I hope that you and I never experience this part of this relationship. I hope it's taken care of long before this. Long before this. Philippians 2.2, the scripture says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Like-minded, how can that be? How can that be? You come from a different culture than I do. You come from a part of the country where you don't uh, uh, really appreciate trees like I do. (laughs) How can we be like-minded? I come from a rainy part of the country where I appreciate water. Well, you appreciate water. (laughs) You get the idea. What if... And it goes to other extremes of color, of ethnicity, of regions, of country. Sean goes to Nigeria. How can he and the Nigerians be like-minded? Paul writes to the church at Philippi that when they become like-minded, there is a fulfillment of joy. Having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. What does it mean to be of one mind? Does that mean that we all have to see everything exactly the same? People have tried that. And uh, unsuccessfully. I I imagine that you could relate to this, but Robin and I have been married 40 years. We don't agree on everything. (laughs) She should agree with me, but she don't. Not on everything. 
And sometimes that disagreement may mean that we have to discuss something. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to sit down with uh, whoever you're in a relationship. We're talking primarily the church right now. uh, These elders and the deacons here are approachable. And if there is a problem, there's a disagreement, they can be talked to. I assure you of that. And if they can't be talked to, then we need to sit down and talk. Because we have to be approachable. Otherwise, it's at each other's face. All of us have to be approachable. Robin, she might should agree with me on everything, but she doesn't. We have several disagreements from time to time. But one thing that is true, and it's always been true with me and my wife, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I think with you and your wife too, and, and, and you and your wife, and you and your wife, is you have the same goal. You have one mind. You have the same goal. And I encourage every young family that, are, that is here this evening Every young man and young woman that has been married, that goal has to be in Jesus Christ. It has to be. As we move closer to Jesus, your marriage will move closer to each other because that is the same mind and the same goal. Let's take it a step further. The church, this congregation, We're made up of individuals. We can have a conflict of sorts. We can have a disagreement. But we'd better have the same goal. We need to understand that we have the same agenda today. In our society, we face millions of agendas. Some of these agendas are so horrendous. And they sidetrack us. I'll tell you, it is so easy to be sidetracked. And you could end up arguing and having conflict on uh, Facebook or someplace. And I've been sucked in. I've been guilty of it. Uh, And and it, it avails nothing. Because you're talking to someone that has a different goal and a different agenda than you do. John 3.17 said, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What is the agenda of Jesus Christ? That's the question. The agenda of Jesus Christ is that you might be saved. That I might be saved. Jesus came to this earth and he worked with that one goal and that one agenda. Those who would be unified with him worked with that same goal and that same agenda. And they became one with Christ. Now let's, uh, is there an, uh, an illustration that we could give to prove this? I believe there is. Matthew 16, when Peter made his great confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you know the next step in the next passage? Jesus went on to tell in that passage that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem, and he was going to have to suffer many things. Remember? 
Peter had just made this grand confession. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. But Peter now stands up and says, Lo, Lord, be it far from thee. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't suffer. Don't do that. Do you remember Jesus' reply to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou speakest the things that be of, of men and savorest not those things that be of God. Get thee behind me, Satan. Boy, that seems like strong language and a strong turnaround from blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, to calling him the devil. Why is that? How did, how did that happen? Jesus had a purpose, he had an agenda. That agenda was to save mankind, to save every man that would come to him. In order to fulfill that agenda, Jesus had to go to Jerusalem and to suffer and to die at the hands of men. Peter was saying, Lord, find another way. Don't go that route. That's too hard. Find another way. Find an easier way. You don't have to go to Jerusalem and suffer. And Jesus said, you're not speaking the same agenda that I am. You're speaking the things that be of men and not the things that be of God. Because if you knew what God had in store and his plan and you were on that agenda and that purpose and that goal, you would not be saying these things. But that's the language of Satan. The language of compromise, the language of finding another way other than what Jesus has subscribed. The commission of salvation is our agenda if we share in the agenda of Christ. What's your agenda? What's your goal? If we're going to be in unity with Jesus Christ, we have to share his agenda. He sets the agenda. And if we decide any other agenda other than salvation for mankind, we won't be in unity with him. Much of conflict that we experience in the church today is a sidetracking of the agenda of the salvation of people. We need a self-examination of what we are really about. Who are we for? If we attain our goal, what will it be? It's one thing to fill up the pews, and it's another thing to bring people to the cross. If we attain these goals, what will we have? Are we fulfilling the agenda of Christ? Could we, is it possible that we could have many, many, many and still be opposed to Christ? Apparently, that is the case. According to Matthew 7, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, and done many wonderful works in thy name? Many. We need to do a, an examination of our agenda. What are we about? Who are we for? As we get in line with the agenda of Jesus Christ, we will be in line and in the agenda of each other. That's when evangelism will be supported. 
That's when we will be willing to get up out of our easy chair and to make a call ourselves and not wait for somebody else to do it. That's when we will step out of our comfort zone and start getting behind the work and doing the work. Not just as Peter did when he tried to follow Jesus from a distance. The Bible said he followed him from afar when Jesus was being arrested. We need to get as close to Jesus as we can. We don't need to try to follow him from a distance. The only way that you can keep from following Jesus from a distance is to understand the mission and to understand the agenda and be willing to fall into that agenda and make it, part, make it your agenda. We can have the same mind. We continue with 1 Peter 3 and 8. Be of one mind, having compassion one of another. Having compassion. What is compassion? How many times have you driven by somebody and say, boy, I tell you what, uh, I sure feel sorry for them. I sure do pity that person. That's not compassion. Compassion is more than just having pity. It's literally being sympathetic. And if you want to take compassion to its highest degree, it's being empathetic. And when Jesus had compassion on us, not only did he look at us in our pitiful state, but he became one of us and walked as a man and suffered as a man and died as a man. And that's compassion. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The only way that you and I are ever going to have this compassion that leads to unity and not conflict is we're going to have to get down there in the trenches with that person and walk a mile in their shoe instead of just looking at them and pitying them. It means that it's going to have to be some elbow grease and some sweat equity. It means that you're going to have to do things that you'd rather not do and to help in ways that you'd rather not help, to have compassion. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's compassion. Not everyone has the same propensity for tears. Some people can walk across the room and can cry. They put me on steroids back when I had my back and I couldn't make church announcements for crying. And it didn't matter if I'm making the appointments. Uh, that was not my nature. But what this is saying is not literally that you have to shed tears with an individual, but it is this rejoicing. You're a part of what they are and who they are. You're a part of their, their suffering, and you're a part of their joy. The only way that you can do that is to be a part of their life. The only way that we can have compassion upon each other is to be a part of each other's life. I need to know what's going on with my brethren if I'm going to have compassion. 
I need to understand their suffering and be willing to be a part of it. And then to take pleasure and joy in their rejoicing. We continue with this verse. Love is brethren. Love is brethren. The word that's used here is Philadelphia. And uh, if it means uh, a city was named up on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. And that's where that word comes from. It's from the Greek word of Philadelphia. What that literally means is fraternal affection. And when he tells us that we are to love as brethren in order to have this unity and not this conflict, it means that I've got to look at you different than everybody else. Now, let me give you uh, a verse for Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. Same word, same meaning. A fraternal love. Now, if the word fraternal doesn't mean anything to you, let me give you a picture. Uh, policemen, they have a fraternal affection for each other. And you might even call them a fraternity of law enforcement. They have a, an affection and they have an understanding for each other and for the difficulties of the job that I don't, I don't understand I don't, because I'm not a part of it. Now, if we take that same application to the church, and if you and I truly love each other and have this brotherly love continue, we are a part, and you could call it a brotherhood. I believe the scripture tells us to love the brotherhood. And that is a fraternal affection. You mean more to me because... We are an understanding, and we understand the difficulties of trying to live the Christian life. I'm going to have preferential treatment over you and with you because we have this fraternal love for each other. I've never understood people that wanted to claim to be in this uh, brotherhood of fraternal affection, of brotherly love, but didn't want to be around that person. It won't work. That's not brotherly love. The military is the same way. A person that's in the military has an understanding of their counterpart that I don't have. I've never been in the military. But I have read and I have done research on some military uh, and the mindset of that. And Matthew will, I believe he will verify what I'm getting ready to tell you. I, I knew a, uh, a World War II hero and Sean knew him too in Alabama. He's a World War II hero. And he said, you can, when you get in a foxhole and the bombs are falling and he was facing German bombs, he said, you get the shovel out and you dig a little deeper. <laughs> He said, you could never have that deep enough. But he climbs in that foxhole. Now, when he has to rear his head out of that foxhole, or whatever situation it is, do you think when he's coming down and he's trying to guard, he's thinking, I'm fighting for my country back home. <laughs> Now, that's noble and that sounds great, but that's just not true. <laughs> you know who he's fighting for? 
I've, I've talked to many veterans and I've read uh, and, and listened to many uh, heroes of World War II. Every one of them will tell you, you're not fighting for your country back home. You're fighting for that man in the foxhole next to you. You don't want to let him down. You don't want him to die. And then we come to the greatest community that has ever been known by man. One that's been created by God and we can't have that same type of love for each other. To fight for each other. To not want to let my brother down. I want to tell you something. When you start living like that, your life will get better. You start thinking about the shame of your actions. Not just shame on you, but the shame of your brotherhood. You and I, we need to have the love for each other much greater than that military love of fighting for my comrade next to me. I'm fighting for your soul. You're fighting for my soul. I don't want to let you down. You don't want to let me down. Every person that's ever been in combat and they lost one of their buddies in combat, they have to go home and they have to live with that. And they see their, they see their, their brother lose his life in a foreign country and he has to go home and live with it. Let me tell you something. If we go into eternity with that on our conscience and on our mind, if I have failed my brother and he's lost his soul, it's hard to live with. We need this brotherhood. Don't pay any attention to them scrubby cows. Those are my two grandsons. Took this picture a long time ago. They didn't know I was taking this picture, but I thought it was a good illustration of brotherly love. Both of them wearing boots that's too big for, but both of them saying, I'll hold you up and I'll carry you. We'll look over this great herd <laughs> together. My favorite picture, Noah and Eli. Wouldn't it be great if you and I could have that kind of love for each other? I'll hold you up. I'll support you. We're all going for the same goal. and We've got the same, same focus. We've got the same mind. And we're in a brotherhood greater than any. And I don't want to let you down. This brotherly love is exposed in Jesus, Jesus' apostles. I want you to notice that 
three pairs of bro were brothers that were called to be Jesus' apostles, Peter and Andrew, James and John, James and Thaddeus, all, all six of these guys, they had something in common their brother served with them. There was one time at, in our congregation, I've lost a brother and a sister, uh, but there was one time in our congregation back home that the five of us all went to church together. Somebody says, that's nothing but a family church, and I say, praise God. <laughs> it's the way it's supposed to be. I look here, and I see a lot of relatives. I see kinfolk. Praise God. 1 Peter 3 and 8, in the closing of this passage, be pitiful. Now, that's not in our English connotation of being pitiful. Many times I am pitiful in meaning a failure, but that's not what that means is be pitiful in that way. What it does mean is that you are tender-hearted. Tender-heartedness is a gift, but it's also something that can be cultivated. We have a young man back home uh, at in our congregation, I love him, and he's been with us for a long time, but he has trouble with being uh, sympathetic and compassionate and tenderhearted. He might go to a funeral home, uh, or in the past, he's not so much now, but he might go to a funeral home and say something that just completely inappropriate. And we've tried to coach him about that and say, you know, that just won't work. That just won't work. If you're suffering, I need to be tender-hearted with you. Not long ago, he lost his dad. His dad died of cancer. And his dad was a young man. And I told him, I said, your visit to the funeral home will forever be different. <laughs> it will never be the same. Now you can walk up to the family that has lost their loved one and you can be pitiful. You can be compassionate with them and tender-hearted. That's why when we go to the doctor, we like a doctor that's going to be compassionate with us and pitiful, to be tender-hearted. A cold-hearted doctor that doesn't care if you're having an operation or not, they're, they're kind of not the person that you really want working on you, even though they may have the skills. The same is true with our relationship with each other. We need this tender-heartedness. Finally, be courteous. The last part of this verse, be courteous. I noticed on one of your goals back there that you had random act of kindness. I really appreciate that goal. And that's, all that is is just being courteous with each other. A random act of kindness. And the scripture teaches that plainly, 1 Peter 3 and 8. And that's, that is our action that will create not only unity, but it will absolve conflict. It will take care of it. This word comes from uh, the term kind. Uh, and that's all it means. Uh, to, to be in that respect of courteous. I want to ask you something. you think this fellow right here uh, would have any success in inviting people to come to the gospel meeting? It's road rage. We experience a lot of that. And I know that it gets frustrating out there. 
But if you are that person uh, and you think that you could then invite to come to the gospel meeting or that even, even have a relationship with that man, do you think you could have a relationship with that man? I don't think I could. I don't think I'd want to. Why would I want to? We have to be courteous. So we read the passage again, and let's read it in its entirety, and we're going to close. 2 Peter 1 and 5, And beside this, giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Be of all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to the prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.